So I, I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard and have and I have become and I have come because of your words. The prince of the the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty one days, but Michael, one of the chief uh, uh, chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh, oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, great, o man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened. I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will, but now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is no, there is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Can you hear me at the back? Thank you. Um, good to see you all this morning. Uh, I have not been in church in the last two weeks, but uh, it's good to be here again, and uh, good to see you all as well. Thank you for the reading of the word, uh, Joel. So, uh, as is evident from the reading of the word, we will look at Daniel chapter 10 today. Daniel chapter 10. But let me begin with a story, as always. Uh, a fisherman was at sea with his godless companions. And as they were fishing, and this fisherman uh, rarely goes to church. In fact, he didn't been in church in the last 15 years. But he was with his godless companions when a storm came up and the ship began to sink. And all of a sudden, his companions looked at him and said, Well, you're at least a Christian. Why don't you talk to your God and ask for the storm to be calmed? And the man um, was very hesitant because he hadn't prayed, like I said, for the last 15 years. He hadn't even been in church in 15 years. But then, because of the urgency of the situation, he thought he'd pray. And then he began to pray by saying, Lord, 
I pray at their insistence. I know I haven't prayed to you for the last 15 years. I know I haven't even been in church in the last 15 years. But if you would help me by letting the storm reside, and uh, if you would help us by taking us to the land, I promise you I will not disturb you again for the next 15 years. It's a humorous story to some of you because I only saw, saw some of you laughing, the others of you smiling. But it has a certain message for most, if not for all of us. The fact of the matter is, many people view prayer as an escape mechanism rather than a constant connection or a communication with God. So in order to get a proper perspective about this particular chapter that was read out to us, about which we're going to study today, uh, let me read for you a couple of words or a, a phrase or a sentence by R.A. Tori. Please consider these words carefully as this sets the context of the passage we're going to study today. R.A. Tori saying this, When the devil sees a man or a woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray, who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did. Did you hear that? He trembles as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church or community is at an end. For he knows that his day in that church or that community is at an end. Having read this as a preface to the, to the topic that we're going to deal with this morning, several questions comes, come to our mind as we listen to this quote. And that is, do our prayers really make a difference in the world? Do our prayers really make a difference in the world? Or better, what is the interplay between prayer and the spiritual realm? What is the interplay between prayer and the spiritual realm? The answers are not hard to find. The answers were read out to us in the chapter of Daniel chapter 10. And Daniel chapter 10 presents to us several insights about the spiritual realm and also the interplay between prayer and the spiritual realm as well. It's a peek behind the curtain. It opens the curtain just a little bit for, uh, just a little bit for us to take a peek into what happens in the spiritual realm. It is a view from the seen to the unseen. It is a view from the visible to the invisible. It's a view from the natural to the supernatural. And I confess to being convicted, even haunted by this particular passage. And I thought about it, having studied this passage, it was very, very tough. And uh, I went through a lot of stress as well studying this passage. And having been convicted about it, the question that came to my mind was this. If I believe this chapter to be true, and I think it is true, it is in the inner end word of God, then why don't I pray more? Or, why do I not pray with more power or more passion, or more earnestness. So today's passage will reveal to us two things regarding the interplay between prayer and spiritual uh, realm, between prayer and the spiritual realm. Daniel chapter 10, and I'll, I will have the outline up here step by step, and Abhijit will help me uh, step by step as we go through the entire uh, outline here. So please follow along. Verses 1 through 9, as we read, in the reading of the word, verses 1 through 9 tell us that you must wrestle in prayer until the Lord reveals his will to you. 
you must wrestle in prayer until the Lord reveals his will to you. And just because the answers are delayed, we must not give up. We must labor in prayer until our persistence stands for everlasting praise. We must wrestle in prayer. We must labor in prayer until our persistence in prayer stands up for everlasting praise. When you look at the life of Daniel, that's exactly what you see. Daniel moaned in prayer to understand the future of Israel until the Lord appeared to him to reveal his will. Daniel moaned in prayer until the Lord appeared to him to reveal his will. What made him pray and what happened as a result, it's all unraveled for us in two steps. Let's go step by step in the passage to see what's happening here. First, Daniel perceived in prayer to understand the revelation about a great war that would engulf Israel. Verses 1, 2, and 3. Daniel perceived in prayer to understand the revelation about a great war that would engulf Israel. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for full three weeks. The chapter begins with a very important chronological note here. Verse 1 tells us that Daniel received his revelation in the third year of the king, of, of king Cyrus, who was the king of Persia. And that is 536 BC. So you're talking about 536 BC, which means that it's just been two years, or it's already been two years since the first set of exiles, 42,000 people, had left Babylon and gone back to Jerusalem, to rebuild Jerusalem. They started rebuilding the temple, and all of a sudden, they faced political opposition. And Daniel was kept informed about it. And although 42,000 people had left this particular city of Babylon and went back to Jerusalem, Daniel was not among them. Perhaps his old age could not let him take that arduous journey, we don't know. Or perhaps, most likely, God would have asked him to stay back in Babylon as Medo-Persia was ruling because God had other plans for Daniel. But Daniel 10 here introduces us to the final vision of the book. This is a very, very important vision, and we must understand it. Daniel 10 introduces to us a final vision in this particular book. So chapter 10 is the prologue, which we'll study today. Chapter 11 is a vision itself, and chapter 12 gives us the aftermath and the close of the book. So in essence, what was revealed to Daniel as a revelation of the future was three things. Number one, it involves the future of his people, which is the future of Israel. It was revealed to him. Number two, it also involved revelation about the last days. And number three, it involved a great conflict, a great war that's going to befall Israel. So when Daniel looked at this revelation, he was greatly troubled. The fact that a great war is going to batter Israel the fact that a great war would engulf Israel and trouble Israel sent Daniel into mourning. And the revelation that was given to Daniel on this occasion shattered any hope 
that he may have had that Israel found this new freedom and Israel found this new hope in Jerusalem and is going to prosper. He thought that they would go back and all the promises of God might come true there right now. But all of a sudden, he comes to understand through this revelation that there's a great war that's going to engulf. There's a great war that's going to batter the city of Jerusalem. And he gets distraught. He is distressed. And he's troubled about it. And he was so terribly disturbed. And he prayed for understanding further about this particular vision. So in praying for understanding, and in praying for understanding of God's will about this particular thing, he Prayed for three weeks, he fasted for three weeks, eating no food, drinking no wine, and using no deodorants or lotions as well. So that's the first thing that we see here. Then there's a second step that we see. The Lord appeared to Daniel to give him an understanding of the future. The Lord appeared to Daniel to give him an understanding of the future. Verses 4 through 9. But I'll read for you verses 4 through 6, and then verse 9. Follow along, please. On the 24th day of the first month... As I was standing on the bank of the great river, which is the river Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Ufas around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Then I heard the sound of his words, that is verse 9, As I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Now, although this man in this vision that Daniel received is not identified for us, the description here sounds very much like the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1. And the response of Daniel here when he sees the vision or sees this glorious man in this particular vision is exactly the same response that John had in the book of Revelation, which is to fall face down before him, seeing this glorious and magnificent person. Who is this person? I believe this is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we call in theology as a Christophany. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Lord began to speak to Daniel, the experience was too much for him, too overwhelming for him, that he falls face down. You know, John Walwood, in his commentary on the book of Daniel, a great prophecy scholar, he says this, The impression given to Daniel was that the entire body of the man in the vision was like a gigantic transparent jewel. So magnificent, isn't it? The body of the man who was seen in the vision was like a magnificent transparent jewel reflecting the glory of the rest of the vision. It was reflecting the glory of the rest of the vision. So the Lord appeared to Daniel to give him an understanding of the future. Daniel moaned in prayer to understand what God's will is and the Lord appeared to Daniel to reveal his will. Do you wrestle in prayer to understand God's will? Do I wrestle in prayer to understand God's will? Because the fact of the matter is, it's not always easy to understand God's will in our lives, or what God is doing in individual lives, or in our church, or in the world as well sometimes. Part of the reason for this is unveiled for us in this particular passage. And that is this, when we pray we are entering a spiritual zone. When we pray, our prayers penetrate a spiritual zone. And when we pray, we are communicating through air, 
through air over hostile territory. And we must be mindful of that. When we pray, we are settling ourselves and setting ourselves in direct opposition to demonic activity in the world. When Daniel prayed for the discouraged returnees, when people from the exile returned to Jerusalem and they were discouraged because of the opposition, when Daniel prayed about them and prayed for them and interceded for them, the answers to his prayers were greatly opposed by demonic forces. And we see that in the passage as we go forward. Similarly, when you and I pray for God's work, when we pray for missions, when we pray for the progress of our church, when we pray for spiritual breakthroughs in the lives of people, we are setting ourselves in direct opposition to Satan's agenda. We are setting ourselves in direct opposition to Satan's agenda. When we pray, thy will be done as it is in heaven, we are praying for something that is in direct conflict with Satan's schemes. It's easy to pray, Lord bless me, Lord bless my family, and by the way, thank you for the food that you put on my table. All this is good, and we must pray such prayers, but that's hardly the kind of prayer that will make Satan tremble. It's time for all of us, it's time for each one of us seated here to raise the bar of prayer and enter into a serious spiritual conflict and enter into a serious spiritual conflict. Let let me remind you what Ephesians 6.12 says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now this verse is very helpful on several levels. Let me mention two things for you about this verse. Firstly, it reminds us that our battle is not against humans, that our battle is not in this physical realm or against the physical things that we see. Although sometimes we make it out to be that, although sometimes we think that our battle is in the physical realm, the Bible says that our battle is against the principalities and powers and against the spiritual realm. Sometimes we focus so much on the abortionists, on the pornographers, the godless politicians, the corrupt business leaders, the drug dealers, and the purveyors of filth, as if they were the source of problems. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible tells us, particularly this passage, that there is a demonic influence behind them that they themselves may not realize. Although they're culpable for what they're doing, although they're accountable for what they're doing, and God is going to judge them for what they're doing, there is... More than just meets the eye, there is a demonic influence behind all of these corrupt and godless things. And finally, this verse, Ephesians 6.12, also tells us to put on the whole armor of God. It tells us to put on the whole armor of God. A godly character, or perhaps the lack of it, actually does make a day-to-day difference. It does make a day-to-day difference, not just here now in the physical world, but also in the spiritual realm, because we're all foot soldiers in a vast, invisible war that stretches the entire cosmos. We're all foot soldiers in a vast, invisible war that stretches the entire cosmos. Do you wrestle with God in prayer to understand God's will? Do you wrestle in prayer to understand God's will? So that's the first thing that we saw 
from this particular passage. So in verses 1 through 9, we learned that you must wrestle in prayer until the Lord reveals his will to you. You must wrestle in prayer until the Lord reveals his will to you. Then there's a second thing you need to understand about the relationship between prayers and the spiritual realm. And that is given to us in verses 10 through 21. Verses 10 through 21. They say that unseen spiritual warfare may at times delay answers to our prayers. Unseen spiritual warfare may at times delay answers to our prayers. In a way that we cannot understand, our answers may often be delayed because of warfare in the heavenly places. Our answers may often be delayed because of warfare in the heavenly places. That's precisely what we learn from this particular episode. Daniel was overwhelmed to learn about warfare in the spiritual realm and its direct bearing on the affairs of the world. You're a little slow. You'll have to keep up with me, please. Okay. Daniel, Daniel uh, was overwhelmed to learn about Warfare in the spiritual realm and its direct bearing on the affairs of the world. Again, we see two scenes in which it played, it played out. Uh, let's look at it one by one very quickly. First thing, the angel informed Daniel that he was intercepted by a demon when Michael the archangel, until Michael the archangel rescued him. The angel informed Daniel that he was intercepted by a demon until Michael the archangel rescued him. Look at verses 10 through 19. I want to read the entire passage for you so we get a hold of what's happening here. And I'll explain the passage as well. Verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Now, look at the tremendous heavenly insight that is coming to Daniel. The moment Daniel prayed, the answer came. The answer was sent from heaven. But what happened? Verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh, oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O oh man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak. For you have strengthened me. Now, where is Daniel? Daniel is right now on the ground. Daniel is flat. But a hand touches him and bids him to stand up. In verses 5 and 6, the, uh, six, the vision that came to him was the vision of the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. But in verse 10, it's a different person. 
It's an angel sent by the Lord Jesus Christ with an answer. And so the angel comes and the angel proceeds to explain to Daniel why it took three, uh, three weeks for him to come with an answer to prayer. And what the angel gives as an explanation in the next few verses is absolutely dramatic. The words part the curtain into the invisible realm for us just to take a peek to see what's happening behind the curtain. They speak of the nature of spiritual warfare and the conflict in the heavenly places and also about the nature of prayer. Now listen to this very carefully. Look at verse 12. Then he said to me, that is the angel, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. In other words, God issued the answer to your prayers three weeks ago when you began to pray. The moment you began to pray for understanding, the moment you began to, un- to know the will of God, or the moment you began to pray to know the will of God, God sent an answer to your prayers. But the fact of the matter is, this angel that was carrying the information that was carrying the requested data, was intercepted. He was interrupted. He was hindered and held back by somebody called the Prince of Persia. He was hindered and held back by somebody called the Prince of Persia. Now, this foe evidently wasn't a human being. He was definitely a demon because this particular seizing or this particular holding back of the angel happened midway between heaven and earth. The answer was coming from heaven to the earth to to Daniel, but he was intercepted halfway. And so evidently, a demon assigned to the Persian kingdom, who was making sure that in the Persian kingdom, God's plans are thwarted, God's plans and purposes are opposed. That particular demon opposed this angel who was bringing answer to Daniel's prayers, and and this particular stalemate lasted for about three weeks. Michael and Gabriel, these are the only two names of good angels mentioned in the Bible. Michael is an archangel who was a prince of Israel. He's a protector of Israel and he's powerful and he's authoritative as well. He's assigned to guard Israel. And he was dispatched to help this particular angel who was bringing the information or the requested data to Daniel. And only when Michael the prince came and rescued this angel from the clutches of the prince of Persia, only then he could go with an answer after three weeks to Daniel bringing an answer to his prayer. Gleason Archer, in his brilliant commentary on the book of Daniel, makes this comment. The powers of evil apparently have the capacity to bring about hindrances and delays even of the delivery of the answers to believers whose requests God is minded to answer. Do you hear that? That there could be delays in our prayers because demons oppose the answers that God sends or gives to the prayers of the believers. While God can, of course, override the united resistance of all the forces of evil, if he chooses to do so, he accords to demons certain limited powers of obstruction and rebellion, somewhat like those he allows human beings. So he has given them limited sovereignty. He has given them limited freedom. And they use that freedom to rebel against God and oppose the answers to prayers as well. Now Daniel looks at the entire thing. 
He understands what's happening in the spiritual realm. And then he is overwhelmed by all of it. Looking at the spiritual opposition that is there against Israel, he's totally bewildered looking at this. And he had a panic attack. And we see in the passage that we just read that the overwhelming nature of this angelic visitor and the message that he sent sent him into a full-fledged panic attack. He started having bewildering anxiety, weakness, shortness of breath. He even started having shallow lungs. This is definitely a panic attack that is described in the Bible. And what did the angel do? As always, he touched Daniel, strengthened him, and asked him to take courage. And Daniel was strengthened. He got up, and he was ready to listen to the rest of the revelation or the rest of what the angel had to say to him. But the fact of the matter is, the angel informed Daniel that he was intercepted by a demon until Michael the archangel came and rescued him. Secondly and lastly, the angel explained about the unseen conflict he's engaged in against dark forces to achieve God's purposes. The angel explained about the unseen conflict he's engaged in against dark forces to achieve God's purposes. Verses 20 and 21. Then he said to me, Do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Now this tells us that there was a warfare going on. And the angel, who was a messenger, all of a sudden left the warfare in the heavenlies to come and give this particular revelation to Daniel. And as soon as the revelation is done with, he will go back to resume the warfare in the heavenly places. Interesting thing. A very strange thing. And he says, soon he will fight the prince of Persia, right after which he will also fight the prince of Greece. Now, we've been studying Daniel for a few months now, for several months now, and we saw in one of the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar had that there are four kingdoms that come in succession. Number four, the first one is Babylon, and then is Medo-Persia, then is Greece, and then it is Rome. But this passage seems to teach that there's a demonic activity involved with geopolitical power shifts. Did you hear that? There is a demonic activity involved with all these kinds of godless geopolitical power shifts. This is all very mysterious to us, but it tells us of unusual goings-on in the invisible realm where these angels and demons battle it out. They battle it out to either promote or obstruct God's work in this world. Again, John Walwood is very helpful here. He says, from this we can learn that behind the many details of prophecy relating to the history of this period, there's an unseen struggle between angelic forces that the will of God may be accomplished. There's an unseen struggle between the angelic forces that the will of God may be accomplished. But then the angel says something to him. He says, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. Now, nobody knows what the book of the truth is. It appears to be God's blueprint for history, particularly as it relates to the nation of Israel. But some of that contents of the book of truth, the angel is going to reveal to Daniel, which is written for us in Daniel chapter 11 and Daniel chapter 12. We will study it in the coming months. But these are incredibly detailed prophecies about 
the wars that are going to befall the nation of Israel, that come from Persia, that come from Greece, that come in the time of tribulation, and that come in the time of the millennial kingdom as well. And finally, the angel says that Archangel Michael is my partner in this particular fight that I'm talking about. That must have comforted Daniel a little bit because he has an able partner in this massive cosmic warfare that is going on. But the angel explained about the unseen conflict he's engaged in against the dark forces to achieve God's purposes. Are you aware of the spiritual reality around you? Are we all aware of the spiritual reality around us? We take it so lightly, isn't it? In fact, we're often very mindless of that. What happened to Daniel may also happen to us. What do I mean by that? It may be that our deepest, most heartfelt prayers are sometimes delayed. Hear me, please. It may be that our most heartfelt prayers are sometimes delayed because of angels and demons battling it out in the spiritual realm. I believe this is most likely to happen when we pray for God's purposes and God's cause to be fulfilled on earth. Could that be the reason why? Listen, please. Could that be the reason why when we pray for the release of our brothers put in prison for sharing the gospel, it often takes many days and several court hearings before they are actually released. Is it possible? Is it possible that some of our deepest prayers are delayed because of a battle that's going on between the angels and demons? As we enter into a serious intercession for our church, we are likely to encounter more difficulties like this. And when we pray for our loved ones to be saved and for, for some of our wayward members in the church to return to the Lord, we should not be surprised that these prayers are not answered immediately. Satan hates these kind of prayers. It is infiltrating the kingdom of Satan and he will not give up without a fight. There is more angelic and demonic activity in this world than we can realize. There's more demonic influence behind governments, behind godless leaders, even in our country, than we can realize. Demons have a great deal more to do with the history of the world than we realize. This explains so much that seems otherwise inexplicable, isn't it? Now, having said that, let me give you a word of caution here. C.S. Lewis, in his brilliant, masterful novel called The Screwtape Letters, in his introduction to the book, he says this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race falls about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive, unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both the errors, and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Some of us believers, probably not in this church, when I say believers, I mean around the world. Some believers in certain denominations, definitely, 
have run the risk of preoccupation and speculation with angels and demons, and that is dangerous. But the fact of the matter is, we play the fool if we make light of the spiritual reality all around us. So Daniel 10 makes at least these four things very clear. And listen to this very carefully, please. Number one, that angels and demons exist. Number two, angels and demons engage one another in a spiritual conflict. Number three, certain demons and probably certain angels are given particular geographical and government assignments. And number four, I want to be very, very careful in this, and I don't want to push the interpretation, but it is possible that our prayers in some genuine measure affect the battles that are being fought in the spiritual realm. Our prayers in some genuine measure affect the battles that are being fought in the heavenly places. John Piper would agree with my assessment. He says, so then I would conclude that there are high-ranking demonic powers over various regimes and dominions and governments and realms of this world that they work to create as much evil and corruption and spiritual darkness as they can. They strive to interrupt Christian missions and ministry as much as they can. This is John Piper. Now let's look at the positive side of it. We've been dealing with demons a lot. Let's look at the positive side of it. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12, so verses 22 and 23. I did not have this in my manuscript just uh, before I set out for church. Uh, I had to go back again, open my manuscript, because this was a thought that came to my mind. I'm pretty sure this is from the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 23. They say this, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. What is the writer to the Hebrews saying here? Look at the phrase that he talks about here. We come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. The Greek word used here means it's a festival or a celebration. Which means the author of Hebrews is saying that when you come together here for worship... There are actually angels all around us celebrating, joyful in worship, and praising God along with us. Now, the consummation of it can only, be, uh, can only happen in heaven when we get there. But at least Peter tells us, right now when we sit together here in worship, there is a spiritual realm all around us that has angels who are joyfully worshiping and joyfully all around us seeing us worship. how likely we take worship when we come here on a Sunday morning. You know, there's a spiritual realm all around this room, right here in this room that we cannot see. There could be angels standing by my side. There could be angels standing by your side. There are angels all around us, seeing us worshiping the Lord joyfully, if we are really doing that. There's an unsealed realm all around us. And my challenge here is please take worship seriously. Coming to the end of it, this passage was not written for us to scare us. It is not written for us to scare us about demons. 
or the spiritual world. In fact, I would even go on to say that no Christian needs to be scared of demons. You know why? Because 1 John 4, 4 says, Little children, you're from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I'm always amazed when I read the Gospels. And when you read the Gospels, you understand that the demons have some of the finest Christology than any theologian in this world. Because when Jesus comes and there are demons around him, they look at him and they say, Jesus, son of the most high God. And in one particular instance, Jesus goes to a particular town, the demons come and they say to him, Jesus, son of the most high God, what is your concern to do with us before the appointed time? Have you come to judge us before the appointed time? They realize there's a day of judgment. And they realize that there is a day when God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to judge them. So we don't have to be afraid of demons. But all that the passage is asking us to do is to be aware of the spiritual reality all around us. So my question is, are you aware of the spiritual reality all around you? So what's the point of this morning's sermon? The whole chapter basically says we must be fervent in our prayers as they play a role in the fulfillment of God's sovereign will. We must be fervent in our prayers as our prayers play a role in the fulfillment of God's sovereign will. We must labor in prayer knowing that he works through our prayers to fulfill his mission on earth. So two things we saw, you must wrestle in prayer until the Lord reveals his will to you. Number two, unseen spiritual warfare may at times delay your prayers. A couple of illustrations and I'll be through. Now listen to this very carefully because this sums up all that I've said. General Douglas MacArthur, not John MacArthur and no way connected to John MacArthur. General Douglas MacArthur once said this, by profession, I am a soldier. And I take pride in that fact. But I'm prouder, infinitely prouder, to be a father. A soldier destroys in order to build. A father only builds, never destroys. The one, who has, the one has the potential, potentialities of death. The other embodies creation of life. While the hordes of death are mighty, the battalions of life are mightier still. And then he says this. It is my hope that my son, when I'm gone, will remember me, not from the battle, but in the home, repeating with him our simple prayer, our father who's in heaven. He says, it's my hope that my son, when I'm gone, will remember me, not from the battle, not as a great fighter in the battlefield for America or any country, but as a father who sits right next to him and prays a simple prayer with him every day. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hudson Taylor was sailing to China to begin his missionary work. When his ship was in great danger, what happened was the wind had died and the current of the water was carrying them towards sunken reef. And the problem with the sunken reef was right next to it was an island that was full of cannibals. And as the boat was getting closer, a ship was getting closer and closer to the island full of cannibals, the cannibals were dancing. They could see it. 
the cannibals were dancing that some humans were coming. They're going to have a gala time, nice dinner, nice buffet and all of that. And so they already started lighting fire. This is real. They already started lighting a fire. Some of you may have read this story. And uh, the captain of the ship comes and says, we did all that we could. We can't do anything. We're going to die. Hudson Taylor walks up to him, the captain, and he says this. There are four Christians on the ship. We haven't done all that we have to do. You know what we have to do? Four of us will retire, each one to our own rooms. And then we'll spend time in prayer. We'll pray earnestly that God would send a wind that would take the ship away from there into China. Hudson Taylor goes in, five minutes he prays, he gets some kind of an assurance, a conviction in his heart that the, God, that the Lord is going to work. He goes to, uh, he goes to the deck, goes to the captain, and he says, would you let down the sail? And the captain looks at him and says, what is it for? He says, would you let down the sail because the wind is going to come? And the captain listens to him, lets the sail down. In five minutes, the wind comes, and then it takes the ship away from that particular island full of cannibals. And Hudson Taylor wrote this statement in his diary before he went to China or on the way to China. He said, Thus God encouraged me before landing on China's shores to bring every variety of need to him in prayer. God encouraged me before I landed on the shores of China that I need to bring every variety of my needs to God in prayer and expect that he would honor the name of Jesus Christ by answering my prayers. I hope the Lord has spoken to you this morning as he has to me. Thank you so much for your patience. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for this morning. Your word is powerful. Although it was written several centuries ago, it still speaks to our need. It still speaks to us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for revealing to us a peek of what happens behind the curtains in the heavenly realms. Father, we are amazed to know about the fact that you are a sovereign God and that you answer our prayers immediately. But often, O oh Lord, we see that our prayers are delayed and the reason could be because of the spiritual battle that's going on in the heavenly places. Father, we pray that each one of us seated here would be earnest in our prayers until we understand what's, what's God's will for our lives, for the things that we are praying for. And help us also to persevere in our prayers until we receive whatever answers you want to give in your will. We submit the rest of the activities today in your hands, O Lord, the men's meeting and the time of fellowship and the rest of the day as well, even Hindi fellowship in the evening. We pray, O Lord, that your blessing and your hand of favor may rest upon each one of us. We want to thank you for everything. May your name be exalted in Jesus' name.